Today's a really special day. We have a guest speaker for you today. And you know, we're very careful and prayerful about who we have come and speak. Uh, take it very seriously who we have share God's word with you. And we, uh, we are so excited for you to hear from this guest speaker today. He is a pastor in South Carolina at a great church, Faith Church, and he oversees all next-gen ministries from birth to age 30 across eight campuses. He's a great leader, a great pastor, and the best little brother a girl could have. And so would you welcome my brother, Pastor Timmy. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? We're doing good. Hey, who's excited to be in the house of the Lord? Hey, who loves Jesus? Hey, I just want to encourage you um, this, this morning. Well, the most powerful moment of the morning so far for me was when Pastor Benny stood up here and challenged everybody. He said, hey, if the Lord has done something in your life this year, throw your hand up. And looking around, seeing so many people stand on that testimony of the Lord's goodness in their life this year. Um, but I know there were some people in the room that did not raise their hand. And I want to encourage you that the Lord sees you. And he knows exactly what you need. And Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we serve a God that gets us. He understands us because he willingly put himself in our place. And because he understands us and knows what we need, we can boldly and confidently approach him in our time of need, and you'll get what you need. And so I want to encourage you, if 2023 just wasn't your year, you serve a God that knows what you need. And he's got it, and it's available. Um, this last year, 2023, was a really hard year for, for me and my wife. My mother-in-law was diagnosed um, with multiple, um, multiple issues and to the point to where she had to be moved into our home. And it became really heavy in our house. Um, but the thing that made it the heaviest was my mother-in-law does not know Jesus. And my wife has looked her in the face and told her that Jesus is the answer for her. And she said no. I've looked her in the face, said the same thing. She said no. My stepdad, Pastor Larry, he's looked her in the face and she said, I don't want Jesus. And it just made the weight so much heavier. And I know I'm not the only person in the room who has a family member that they love, that they know is hurting, that is running from Jesus. But I want you to know, in August of this year, on the, one of the worst Sundays of the year for my wife and I, just a lot going on, my mother-in-law said yes to Jesus. And it's changed everything. Doesn't mean that there's still not things going on at home. It still doesn't mean that things aren't tough. She's still sick, but the Lord is faithful and saw her and he sees you. So be encouraged today. Um, God, God sees you and has something for you. But yeah, let me reintroduce myself. My name is Tim Smith. I um, am a pastor down in South Carolina, um, along with my wife, Tina. I have a picture of our family um, that I actually want to show you. Um, that is my family right there. My son, Timmy, uh, he is eight years old. He's holding little tater tot. Tater tot is four and a half months old. We just got her, we caved into the kids got a dog begrudgingly and we my wife and I are now obsessed with that dog uh, we love her she's the best um, and then my daughter Taya she is six years old full of energy and sass she's amazing and then my son Torin he is newly five years old we adopted him 
two years ago from India, and I actually know many of you have been praying for him, um, and uh, we actually ate last night. We got in really late last night, and Kelly made spaghetti and Texas toast and all that good stuff, but because there's some amazing uh, people from India that attend this church, they had a fridge full of Indian food, and Torin said, no, no spaghetti. I want, I want my India food. And so uh, if you're here today and you made that, I just want to say thank you so much. I ate some too. It was phenomenal. I love it. I love it. Um, but hey, I, yes, I am Kelly's little brother. Um, and so, man, I just want to say that, yes, I am a pastor and all that kind of good stuff um, that you introduced me with. But the, one of the biggest privileges of my life, Kels, is that you introduced me as your brother. Um, that's a title that I wear with such pride. And uh, you too, Benny, is just an amazing brother-in-law. Um, and I love you guys. I'm so, I look up to you. I'm so proud of you. The way that you love your kids, the way that you love this church, it's real. Um, and I don't know if you all remember Pastor Will and Karina. I'm going to tell on them real quick. But I knew Pastor Will and Karina before they moved here. And about one month into living here, they called me. And I was like, so how's it going? And they said, it's good. But like, can I ask you a question? said, yeah. I'm like, please don't take this personal. Are Kelly and Benny really this nice? <laughs> and I was like, that's who they are. Like, they're not faking it. That's who they are. And then about a year in, they were like, you were right. Like, that's who they are. Um, but here's the thing. I can't be a good little brother if I didn't come and embarrass her a little bit, okay? So let's see some pictures of Kelly when she was a little kid. <laughs> All right, so the picture on the left that is a homegrown, home-cut mullet on my head right there. My mom crushed that one. Uh, and then that's me and Kelly, her holding me as a baby. We both still had our baby fat there. Um, and then us on the right. Um, but here's the thing. Kelly was, Kelly was a fun uh, older sister, a scary older sister at times. And a lot of you just know Kelly as a super sweet Kelly. But I'm going to tell you the story about the real Kelly, okay? <laughs> so this has nothing to do with my message. This is just, I get to do this. You invited me, so deal with it. Um, so my first day of school, first day of kindergarten, I've never ridden a bus, never been to school. I'm scared out of my mind, yet really excited. I, my mom got me a brand new backpack. It was blue um, with uh, like yellow, uh, the yellow uh, straps, you know, to tighten it up. And um, I'm walking with Kelly out to this, uh, the bus stop. And Kelly's four years older than me, so I think she's going into third grade, and um, I'm just so scared. And she looks at me, she goes, if you look at me or talk to me on the bus, I'm gonna act like I don't know you. <laughs> and so I'm just so nervous. And so the bus pulls up, the doors open, and there's Miriam, the bus driver, scariest woman of all <laughs> time, okay? She opens the door, we get in with a bunch of the other kids, and I look, and there's just a sea of faces. I don't know anybody. I'm so scared. Kelly goes and sits, I think, in like the second or third row to the right, and I'm like, sorry, Kels, and I sit right next to her. So, all right, and so we're riding, and I'm so scared. I'm just sitting there clutching my backpack, like I'm about to cry, and we get to school, we pull up to the curb, it's time to get out, the, two, the rows in front of us get out, and then it's our turn. And I try to get up, and I can't. And I'm like, oh no, and I keep trying to get up, and I realize I'm stuck. I look down, this kid behind me had taken my straps and tied them to the posts of the, of the seat because my mom didn't cut the straps and cauterize them. 
I was walking around and they were just dragging on the floor. I had it coming with that backpack, okay? And so, and, I, and all the kids on the back were like, get off the bus. And I'm like, I can't, I can't. And I'm, I'm crying. And all of a sudden, my sister turns around, looks at the guy and goes, if you don't untie my brother, I'm going to kill you. Long story short, he untied me quick. We got off the bus. I looked at her and said, you love me. I still wasn't allowed to talk to her the rest of the day, but I'll always remember that. So just know you got a, you got a pastor that is in your corner and will cut somebody for you, okay? So they will, they will. All right, hey, can we open up our Bibles real quick? Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Today, I want to preach to you a message called roadblocks. Everybody say roadblocks. All right. So um, here's the thing. I want to set the scene for you just a little bit. In 1936, um, right outside of Azusa, California, there is a mountain range called the San Gabriel Mountains. And in 1936, um, they um, ventured to build a roadway and bridge system that could help you get from one end of the San Gabriel Mountains to the other. And so they began carving out roads outside of the, on the sides of the mountain, and they began paving those roads, and they began to build bridges from one mountain peak to the next so people could get across. But in California, something that is known to happen every now and then is you, you can get monsoons and mudslides. So they had to pause construction because the rain wouldn't stop, the mud wouldn't stop flowing, and it was, um, it was just making a huge mess. By the time that the mudslides had subsided and that the construction workers could go back, they went and realized those roads that had once been paved were gone. The bridge that had once been strongly built to go from one peak to another had been damaged to the point that they completely gave up on the project. And now today, if you go there, what you will find is you will find Dirt roads that have been demolished that you can only walk on, you can no longer drive on, and you will find a singular bridge that goes from one mountain peak to another. But when you go from one side of the mountain peak to the other, all you will find is a dead end at the other side of that bridge. They call that bridge the bridge that leads to nowhere. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that because in the scripture today and in this room today, there are many people that have found themselves at one point or another in their life on the bridge that leads to nowhere. That you began, you began to traverse a road and cross a bridge that you thought was gonna get you to happiness and you never found it. That you began to walk a road and cross a bridge that you thought was gonna bring you purpose, significance, value, and healing. Yet, you found, instead of being on a bridge that leads to happiness and healing and all of that, you found yourself on a bridge that leads to nowhere. And in our lives, the rains will come, the floods will come, the mudslides will come, and if we aren't walking the path we are called to walk, crossing the bridge we're called to cross, those roads too will be eventually demolished and we will find ourselves at a dead end. And so today, in John chapter 5, we see a man that has found himself in that exact position. Will you stand on your feet with me as I read God's word? 
I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version. It says this. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition for a long time, Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? Interesting question. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took his bed and walked. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are a God that is here and you are a God that is still speaking and you are still bringing dead things back to life. God, I pray that as I speak today, the Holy Spirit, your voice would be amplified and you would, mu- uh, you would muzzle mine. And God, I pray that all of us would desire to leave this place changed and challenged, not entertained. God, we love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. So yesterday we drove up from Charleston, South Carolina, and it was about a nine-hour drive, nine and a half uh, with the kids and the dog. And so it's a long drive, and on that drive, my kids, they're wiling out, they're taking naps, my wife is taking naps. And so one of the things that I like to do when I'm driving is to stay awake is I like to read bumper stickers, okay? And so I found a few really corny Christian bumper stickers that I want to share with you, okay? Uh, here's the first one. Um, Jesus would let me merge. Uh, the second one, it was, I love this one. I've seen it before. Uh, it looks like Jesus is peeking out behind a corner, and right next to him it says, do you follow Jesus this closely? Um, and then the other one was the old standby, the 1980s classic, honk if you love Jesus, okay? But nobody's actually honking because you're going to start a three-car pileup really quick. Um, so, but here's the thing. In America, we are at, there, there's a danger of us having a bumper sticker theology, a bumper sticker faith, where we will latch on to certain sayings and phrases almost like fortune cookies, and we will act as if those things are found in the word of God. We will act like they are promises from God, and in fact, they're not. And that actually will get us in some very dangerous situations because when troubles come, when trials come, when you have a bumper sticker theology, fortune cookie theology and understanding of God, you will question his goodness and his control real quick. And so what we find here is a man that is not in a perfect situation. He's in a tough situation. But here's the thing, here's another one of those phrases Um, that many of us have actually said, don't lie, I know you've probably said it. It's the one that says, God helps those that help themselves. You've probably said it when trying to get your kids to clean their rooms or something like that, right? But here's the thing, that's not in the Bible. Do you know what is in the Bible? So much better news, that God helps those that can't help themselves. God helps those that can't help themselves. And here's the thing that we need to know before we dive into the scripture. We all need help. Every single one of us. 
Let me prove it to you. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. First John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, we lie to ourselves. The truth is not in us. James 1.15 says, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. But I got good news, ladies and gentlemen, because Romans 6.13 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.18 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mark 2.17 says, healthy people don't need a doctor, only sick people do. And Jesus says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Let's all be on the same page this morning. God doesn't help those that help themselves. The good news is God helps those that can't help themselves, amen? Is there anybody in the room that would testify to that about the, about the goodness of Jesus and the goodness of the Lord? You see, this morning, the reason why the message is titled Roadblocks is I want to look at this man's situation, this man that was lame for 38 years, and see how it can apply to you and me. And, the mess, and it's called Roadblocks because I want to look at three distinct, distinct roadblocks, three distinct um, uh, things that this man was doing or believing or acting in that was holding him back from his healing that he was so desperately in need of. So number one, the first roadblock to your healing, to that touch of God that you need in your life is this, misplaced faith, misplaced faith. Look back at verse two, it says, now, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting, on, waiting for the moving of the water, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now some of you right now may be actually reading your Bible and be like, I don't have verse four in my Bible. And that's true. Some, some translations do not put verse four in there, the part that talks about that an angel would come down and stir the waters and whoever would get in the water first when the water started to stir would be healed. And there's reasons why. One of the reasons why is it's debated on whether or not it was in the original manuscripts or added later. But there are three distinct beliefs and positions that historians and theologians take on what this verse actually means, okay? The very first one is this, is that you can take it exactly for what it says. That in those days that God had created a system in which people could get their healing, okay? The second one is this, and this is, a, this is kind of new to me after doing some research. The second belief is that they, they say there is historical evidence to point to that healings were taking place, but it, only took, it was only happening from the birth of Christ to his ascension. That essentially the presence of Jesus invading that place was allowing healing to take place in this manner. And then third, the one that is most believed is that there was not an actual angel, but what it actually was is it was a hot sulfur spring and that it would naturally bubble and that uh, the water had healing properties, especially for skin diseases and things like that. And so there were people that would wade in the water and that would experience a certain level of healing. But here's the thing. No matter where you stand, no matter what your belief is about that verse, here's the thing that we all need to know. Healing what you need is found in the Savior, not a substance, 
and not a system. There is no system or substance that can replace the touch that the Savior can bring this morning. You see, we may read a scripture like this and roll our eyes and think this is such fairy tale, uh, medieval thinking and things like that. How could someone put their faith in some bubbly water to heal them? Well, here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. You and me are guilty of the exact same thing. Way too many of us have put our faith in, in systems for way too long. Let me talk about it. Religion, church, it's a system. You may have been in this church your whole life and you're just as broken as you ever were. You're just as far from God as you ever were. You're just as, you're struggling with with sadness and anger and depression just as, as much as you ever were. And you're mad and you're sitting here week after week wondering when's God gonna show up for me? When's this church thing gonna actually take place? When's when's the benefits of being here and tithing actually gonna kick in in my life? Well, here's the thing. Bethesda, the place he was, what Bethesda means is house of mercy. He was in a good place, ladies and gentlemen. I believe Calvary is a house of mercy. I, I want my home to be a house of mercy. He was in the right place. He was just looking at the wrong thing. He had placed his faith in the church attendance won't save you. That's what Jesus does. Only only he can heal certain things. Another system we've put our hope in, and I know we're in Maryland, we're close to D.C., government. Man, how dumb is it, man? They they, they believe that the stirring of the waters would heal them? How ridiculous. About every four years, the waters stir in America, ladies and gentlemen. And what they used to do is the water would stir and they would fight each other and whoever could get in first, they thought they'd get healed. About every four years, the water stir, we get some new candidates, some new messiahs that get put out in front of us and we fight with each other to see who can get their team in there first to see which candidate can save our nation. Well, guess what? It's been over 200 years and we are farther from God than we ever have been before. I... I I really enjoy politics. I love reading about it, talking about it, debating about it, listening to listening about it. I mean, I I am I think that it is extremely valuable. It will not save you or this nation. And if your Messiah, it doesn't matter if your Messiah rides in on a donkey or an elephant every four years, it's the wrong one. It's the wrong one. We can't put our faith and systems to save us. Systems are easily built and easily broken, but our Savior is a firm foundation we can stand on, amen? You see, Matthew chapter seven, verses 24 through 25 say, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus talking, he says, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rains come down and the streams will rise. Sounds just like that bridge that leads to nowhere. And the winds will blow and they will beat against that house yet it will not fall because its foundation is on the rock. But man, some of us, maybe it's not systems, it's a substance that you put your faith in. Whether it's drugs and alcohol to numb the pain, pornography, sexual sin to mask your loneliness, social media to find affirmation, money to find security and status. You see, substances offer a temporary pleasure, but it fades. And our, t- our Savior offers something that never runs dry. You see the chapter before, Jesus, 
the Son of God shows up at a well at the hottest part of the day to meet one person. Just like the one that Pastor Mike was talking about earlier. He showed up for the one that day. He sat at a well in the hottest part of the day waiting for one person to come. And who was that person? It was a woman who had been married multiple times, divorced multiple times, sleeping with different men, had a horrible reputation in town, and people spoke so much about her um, and mistreated her so bad, she could only go get water in the hottest part of the day because she had to avoid everybody else. Now, whether these things were done to her or they were caused by her own decisions, she was broken nonetheless. And Jesus is sitting at the well. She comes and he asks, can you give me a drink of water? And it has this really long, beautiful um, dialogue between the two. But then Jesus looks at her and he says this. In John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, he says, says, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give them will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You see, systems and substances are built to enslave you, but the Savior has come to set you free. He has come to set you free. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 19, whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He will find it with him. So I have a question for you. Have you misplaced your faith? But Pastor Tim, how do I know if I've misplaced my faith? Look at what you've built your life around. It says that there was a group of blind, lame, and paralyzed people that were living around the pool. They had mats, people would come and bring them food because they couldn't move. They had to stay there 24-7, 365 days a year because they never knew when the water would bubble. They had dedicated their lives to that water. What have you built your life around? Is it around the word of God? Is it around prayer? Is it around intimacy with the Father? Or is it around systems and substances? Let me move along. Number two, second roadblock is this. Identity crisis. A man was having an identity crisis. If you look at verse five, it says, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been in that condition, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now that sounds like a crazy question. He's been there 38 years. He's by the pool of healing What do you mean, Jesus, do I want to be made well? Like, that sounds crazy. It almost sounds insensitive. How dare you ask that? Well, here's the thing. It's not that crazy of a question as you think. Because our identities are oftentimes built upon things that they should not be built upon. Whether it's wounds, things other people have done to you, Things that you have done, beliefs, feelings, thoughts, the color of your skin, who you vote for, many of those things are good things, but they're not the most important thing. So when I was a kid, my dad was a youth pastor and he would take tons of 
people, um, teenagers, over to the Philippines every year for missions trips. And, and there was just miracles and crazy things happening all the time. And um, on one trip, my dad and the, and the team, they were doing a revival service in the middle of the jungle somewhere in the Philippines, and the service was over, and all of a sudden, a couple people come and they rush in, um, into the church as everybody's getting ready to leave and go back to the hotel. And they're like, you need to come with us, you need to come with us, someone needs your help. And so they don't really know what's going on, so they bring the translator with them, and they follow these people down this dark path to, to a hut. And as they're getting closer to the hut, they hear this crazy scream. And they're like, wow, somebody is either in real pain or there's some demons in there. And they step in, and what they found is they found a young adult male who was wearing a, an adult diaper who was in, locked inside of a cage with his hands um, clasped in irons. And he's foaming at the mouth, and his skin is bubbling like this. And come to find out, his mom and dad were the ones that came and got him and said, this is Dominic, this is our son, and he has been like this a long time, um, you need to take the demons away. So half the leaders were so scared, they ran out the door. My dad and a couple leaders stayed, and a couple hours go by of praying, declaring this and that, nothing. And apparently what happens is the demons start speaking in English to my dad and to these leaders, and they're mocking Jesus, they're mocking what's happening, and my dad just goes, shut up. Dominic, look at me. I'm not talking to you, I'm not talking to you, you, Dominic. So Dominic finally looks at my dad. He says, Dominic, do you want freedom? And he said, no. At that, my dad and the team left. And they went back to the hotel. And the story got around about what would happen and everybody was just real frustrated. But the next day was vacation day. And so they take the group of all the teenagers to the beach, but somebody realized, Pastor Tim ain't there. So they asked the missionary, Where, where's Pastor Tim? And he said, he went, he went back to see Dominic. So the whole day goes by, and it's night, and the team is hanging out in the hotel lobby, and all of a sudden my dad and one of the translators, they come into the lobby. And everybody runs over, and they're like, what happened? What happened? Is, what happened to Dominic? And my dad goes, here's the chains. And the way the story goes is my dad walked in, same thing all over again, demons mocking him, foaming at the mouth. He finally got to Dominic and he says, Dominic, do you want freedom? Do you want Jesus? And he just broke and said, yes. Cast out the demons, they take Dominic to Teen Challenge. I believe now Dominic is a, is a pastor somewhere in the Philippines. But here's the reason why I tell that story. You may think it is crazy Jesus would ask, do you want healing? But you need to know there is power in your yes and there is power in your no. Some of us are having an identity crisis because we wear our pain as a badge of honor. We wear a victim mentality like it is a benefit. And I want you to know, God knows that some of you have been hurt, and he loves you, and he sees you, and he acknowledges it, but you don't have to stay where you are. You don't have to. Listen to me, church. You have to be careful how you identify yourself, 
okay? Because when we identify as something, what you are saying is this is my identity, it is fixed, it is concrete, God made me this way. Therefore, I am absolved of having to repent of my sins and turn and walk the narrow road he's called me to walk. And identity is a very, very important thing and identity has been talked about over the past 10 years more than any time in human history because the enemy knows your identity is important too. And you can identify as a lot of different things. I'm not just singling out one group of people. I'm talking to all of us in the room. So, and the reason why identity is so important is because if you are wrestling with things racially, sexually, politically, whatever it is, if you say those things are the most important part of my identity, you will take the word of God and submit the word of God to fit your identity. But if you say, I am a son and daughter of the king, I am saved, I am set apart, I'm not who I used to be, I am a new creation, you will take your identity sexually, racially, politically, and you will submit it to the word of God. You see, the enemy wants you to, wants you to feel like a victim when God calls you a victor in Romans chapter eight, verse 31 through 39. The enemy wants you to identify as depressed while, he's, while there's fullness of joy that's available in Psalms chapter 16, verse 11. The enemy wants you to identify with what has been done to you instead of, what, instead of standing on what Jesus has done for you that is described in 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. When you know who you are, you will know whose you are. When you know whose you are, you will know who you are. If you have a question about who you really are, how you were really created, get to know the creator first. Because you were created in his image. You are his. You're nobody else's. You're not what your thoughts tell you. You're not what your emotions tell you. You're not what CNN or Fox News tells you. You are who God tells you you are. You see, in... 1806, there was a bunch of Christian slave traders and missionaries. And they knew that it was their responsibility to get all of the slaves to go to heaven. So they were going to preach to them the gospel of Jesus. But they knew there was a problem. If they told them the fullness of the gospel it was gonna mess with their supply chain and their income. So what these missionaries and slave traders did is they went through the Bible and they deleted, took out entirely chapters and verses that speak about the identity of a believer as a son and daughter. They removed all references to being slaves, um, to slaves being made free. Because they knew if they knew the truth about their identity here, it would impact what happens to me. I'm okay. They were okay with them being free in heaven one day, but not here on earth. Can I tell you, the enemy is playing the exact same game with you and me. He could care less about your church attendance. He could care less if you listen to Christian radio. He could care less if you got Christian t-shirts and you got some of those corny Christian bumper stickers on your car. If you don't know who you are and the fullness of what the gospel means in your day-to-day -day life right now, he's cool if you call yourself Christian on your Facebook page. But if you, 
if you knew whose you were, you would know who you are and you would know that you are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. You would know that there is freedom available for every broken person at, um, that, that you come across every single day. Right. There is power in your words. Church, we need to be a group of people that we don't just wear Christianity as our identity, but we step into sonship with Jesus Christ. So, my question to you is, what is the most important thing about you? When you introduce yourself, how do you introduce yourself? Is it your political party, your sexual orientation, your race, your victim status, what's happened to you, your job, your marital status? And then finally, number three, and I'll, I'll try to go a little quicker here. Number three, final point, excuses or blaming other people. Worship team, you can come up to the front. If you look at back of verse six, this is what it says. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down in front of me. The crazy thing is the man never actually answers Jesus with yes or no. When Jesus is there looking down at him and says, do you want to be made well? He just blames other people. He blames his situation. You see, when our focus is on what others have done to us and we are living from that hurt and from that unforgiveness, we are allowing them to hijack our healing. They're wrong for what they did for you, for what they did to you. But can I tell you, the longer you hold on to it and the more you wear it as a badge of honor, the longer you give power um, to them over you. But the moment you surrender it to Jesus, now can I tell you something? I didn't say this first service. Some of y'all need to forgive some people today. And the world would tell you, they should ask for your forgiveness. Yes, they should. But Jesus came before we asked for forgiveness. My, my, uh, one of my old pastors would always say, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Some of us, God has been wanting to do a healing touch in our life for a long time, but because we've refused to forgive, that healing has not taken place. You see, why would Jesus ask this question, do you want to be made, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be healed? I believe one of the reasons is Jesus is revealing to this man where his focus and faith has been the entire time. And Jesus is saying, stop looking at the water. Stop looking at the system. Stop looking at all the people around you that identify just like you, hurting and broken right here. What if you looked at me? What if you surrendered your right now to me? What if you stopped letting excuses be a roadblock and what other people have done to you be a roadblock between what I can do in your life? See, Jesus wanted this man, like I said, to stop focusing on all of those things and place his faith in him because healing was available at Bethesda that day. But I wanna tell you, church, the water is stirring today. The 
water's stirring today. And back then, these people never knew when the water was going to stir. They had to sit there and wait. And they had to hope they would beat other people to it. But because of Jesus and what he did on that cross, because he got out of that grave and because the Holy Spirit has come and he is here now, did you know that the water is stirring every day? Every minute of every day, the water is bubbling. It is moving, and you can step into his goodness. You can step into his grace. You can step into his forgiveness, and he's going to give you what you need when you need it. So what if today, on the last day of 2023, we stopped doing things our own way, we stopped playing church, we stopped playing Christian, we stopped putting our faith in other things, we stopped blaming other people, we stopped letting bitterness run our lives, and we said, I'm going to step in. I'm going to step into the waters today because Jesus is what a well that never runs dry. It never runs dry. Can everybody bow their heads and close their eyes? We hope today's message was a blessing to you. If you'd like to connect with us, please visit calvarymd.com and fill out the connection card in our website. We'd love to partner with you on your spiritual journey. We'll see you right back here next week.